Amen and amen. We have um, two scripture passages this morning, an Old Testament scripture passage and a New Testament scripture passage. The Old Testament scripture passage is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. And that can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1068. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, pew Bible page 1068. Another reading of God's word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, This has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, till the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, till the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Turning now to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,672. 1,672. John chapter 12, verses 37 through 43. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn. And I would heal them. 
Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Will you pray with me? Father, enlighten us that we may come away from your word built up, convicted, strengthened. We ask, Lord, that you would do your work in us, transforming our minds, that we may be living sacrifices for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So some time ago in a previous church that I was pastoring, there was kind of a community-wide event of revival of evangelism in our community. And before we had this week-long revival of evangelism uh, coming together with all the different churches in our community, we were having prayer meetings um, prayer meetings, asking for the Lord to bless this work, asking for the Lord to, uh, to do a, a great thing uh, during this week that we were preparing for coming up. And a lot of those meetings, I heard other uh, Christian brothers and sisters praying for an increase of miraculous signs, an, o- an outpouring of God's Spirit that would come in, in healings of people who are sick, that would come in... in uh, uh, you know, all these wonderful, visible, miraculous signs and kind of the warrant behind them praying for this is they believe that if God would show his power outwardly, visibly in these ways, that so many people would come to believe in Jesus Christ because they saw these miraculous signs. And at that time, those prayers didn't really sit right to me, and I couldn't really figure out why. And later when I came to a better understanding of the scriptures, I realized why that kind of thinking didn't sound right to me. Because that kind of thinking doesn't deal with the true condition of man. It failed to see that the presence of miraculous signs will not automatically result in belief. Or to put it another way, I've got to see it to believe it is really a false concept of our secular culture. In fact, the scriptures show us that more often than not, the presence of a multitude of miracles are a sign of God's judgment. And that's exactly what we see in our passage today. If you don't believe me about that, I want you to consider the one redemptive historical moment in the scriptures in which occurred the most miraculous signs. That would be the exodus of the Old Testament. and The ministry of Jesus Christ would be comparable. The exodus of the Old Testament, the wandering of the Israelites in the desert... 
the cloud, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. All of these miraculous, visible expressions of God's power. And what we have from that is that these people were hard-hearted and did not believe. And I hope that as we look through our Scripture passage today, you'll see that it is very much the case in the ministry of Jesus Christ. But to give us a little bit of context, since we've been preaching in the Gospel of John for some time, and because the last couple of weeks we've bounced around a bit, I want us to understand where we're at right here in our passage. So in John chapter 11, we have, of course, uh, the very well-known story of the, the death and the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And we hear then that the Jews, the Jewish leaders, are putting it into action, their plot to kill Jesus. The last time I preached for you, John chapter 12, Jesus was anointed at Bethany by Mary in preparation for his burial. Following that passage is the triumphal entry that we know of. It's found in all four Gospels of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. His last stretch working towards the crucifixion, his passion. And as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, he goes to the temple and... uh, he encounters there some Greeks who want to see him. And he speaks of what his being raised up is going to accomplish. And because during uh, the area or the, the time around Easter, we looked at the death of Lazarus. We looked at the triumphal entry. And we also looked at that scene when Christ is in the temple and Greeks are wanting to see him. We've now jumped forward to verse 37, which follows that. The declaration from Christ that when he's lifted up, all men will be drawn to him. The declaration, the moment where in the temple, the voice of the heavenly father is heard. And people hear it and say, is that angels? Is that thunder? I mean, if you need a more clearly visible, audible, miraculous sign, you've got it right there. And what are the words following that miraculous moment, that miraculous event. Verse 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. So what is our scripture passage this morning really communicating to us? I think it's communicating one thing. It's the most important thing I want you to grasp is that Christ's entrance into this world, His incarnation, His suffering, His death, His resurrection, has caused the most important divide. And it's a divide between that of unbelief and belief. There is no neutrality when it comes to the person of Christ. You cannot say that you're indifferent about Christ. Either you believe him or you do not believe him. And I think as I've gone through the Gospel of John, it may have sounded like that seems to be the theme often. And that's why I want to remind you that John himself put the very purpose for his Gospel in the Gospel. He wrote it there so that we would know 
what it is that he wanted to accomplish in his gospel. It's in the very last chapter. Actually, chapter 20, not the very last chapter. Chapter 20, verse 30 says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I want to talk about three things that are going on in this passage. The first is unbelief as judgment. Unbelief as judgment. The second is the prophet Isaiah's vision. And the third is belief in the fear of man. Belief in the fear of man. So the one thing I want us to grasp from this is Christ's presence in this world has caused the most important divide between belief and unbelief. Between belief and unbelief. So let's look at that first point, unbelief as judgment. Verse 37 says, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe. And we're told that this is actually in accordance with prophecy. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed their message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. That first quotation is from Isaiah chapter 53, concerning the suffering servant who is to come, whom we know is Jesus Christ. And at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah the prophet speaks of this content of unbelief. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He continues on saying, for this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes, deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn and I would heal them. So the interesting thing that's going on here in these quotations is that John is connecting Isaiah chapter 53 to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah Isaiah chapter 6 is the passage which we read from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 6 speaks of the calling of Isaiah the prophet. And many of us, we like to look at that passage as profound. It shows the presence of these seraphim who are singing holy, holy, holy. It speaks of Isaiah's own realization of his sinfulness, his needing to be cleansed. But we love that expression of willingness, a desire to serve, right? Here am I, send me. In fact, our song following the installation was based off of that. Here am I, send me, Lord. Yet we often don't continue reading in that passage to realize what exactly it was that the Lord was calling Isaiah to. This is what, I, this is what the Lord was calling Isaiah to, to do. I'm going to give you a preaching ministry, Isaiah, and this is what I want you to know. No one's going to listen to you. No one's going to hear you. No one's going to turn. And you're going to have to keep preaching until the land is wiped out. I don't know about you, but that's not the kind of call that I want to take. 
I'd like to go to a church where people are going to listen. But this is Isaiah's ministry. And this is the quotation that John uses to describe the judgment that Jesus' ministry is bringing about. Blinded their eyes. That this is God's active hardening. Blinding their eyes, deadening their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah is coming into his ministry on the eve of the destruction of the land that God has given to them because of their turning away from God, because of their worshiping idols and false gods. Isaiah is coming to speak into that. He's saying this is going to come. And Isaiah's preaching ministry is a sign of judgment upon the people of Israel who have hardened their hearts against their God. In like manner, Christ has come into this world amongst his own people, and we're told his people did not receive him. We're told that the Jews who studied the Scriptures, who should know everything about the Messiah and what he, who he was and what he was supposed to do and what kind of kingdom he was supposed to have, did not believe, turned away. And this unbelief is a sign of judgment. Just like in Isaiah's day, when the people of God turned away from God to idols, turned away from God to man's traditions, turned away from God and rejecting his salvation, his redemption, Christ has come into this world amongst his people and they have turned away from him. They have turned away from him to idols, to man's traditions. They have turned away from him and the salvation that he brings and offers. And just like in Isaiah's day, when God brought upon the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple in 70 AD, God is going to do the same thing to these people. And what is that supposed to mean to us? This expression of judgment. The judgment that occurred among the people of Israel in Isaiah's day and the judgment that occurred amongst the people of Israel in the apostles' day. It serves as a living monument of warning. The warning is this. As long as it is today, people of God, do not harden your hearts. Do not close your ears. As long as it is today, do not turn away from the Lord your God. Do not shut yourself off from the salvation that he offers, the mercy and forgiveness that he has. In Christ's day, this expression of unbelief was seen as an act of judgment, an act of judgment from God. But in our day, we're told 
that today is the day of salvation. And my prayer is that all of us will remain soft towards the Lord, open towards what He has to say to us and the conviction of our sin and the needing for our continued sanctification and then the renewal of the awareness of the grace that He has granted us in Jesus Christ. And I think I have good reason to say that. Because we're told something profound in this passage. John takes these two passages from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6 and Isaiah chapter 53, and he shows us that what Isaiah was speaking of was pointing to Christ. And in verse 41, we're told Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Now, to me, this is mind-blowing. Because we read Isaiah chapter 6 from our Old Testament passage this morning. And that vision that Isaiah has in the temple, where he sees the Lord in his glory, where he says, woe is me, where he sees the seraphim singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But Isaiah, who Isaiah was actually seeing was Christ. And something profound that comes from Isaiah chapter 6. Right after the Lord tells him of the ministry that he is going to have. A ministry of preaching to the judgment, the coming judgment that is to come upon the people. When Isaiah says, how long, O Lord? And the answer is, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken, although a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. We are given this hopeful promise of the gospel good news of victory over death and sin, And the gift of salvation and resurrection life in verse 13. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. What God is saying to Isaiah is, although it seems as if I have wiped everything out and there is no hope for the people of God, there is a holy seed. And that holy seed is Christ. And the Christ whom Isaiah saw in his vision is the Christ who has come and in this moment has his eyes set upon the cross in order to accomplish salvation for his people. What does this mean to us today? I think it means hope. I think it means that although it may seem as if everything is lost in this day and age, and as we look around us, we think to ourselves, it seems things are getting worse and worse and worse. 
And it seems as if being a Christian is becoming less popular and less popular and less popular. And it seems to be that even if it is the possibility, the persecution may be on the horizon as it is for our brothers and sisters in China and other places around the world. We have this firm foundation that Christ has come and that Christ has gained victory over sin, over death. And he has granted his people salvation, poured out upon them the Holy Spirit, the down payment. And that although it may seem as everything in this world and in this life and in this society and in this culture goes the way of the Satan that we so rightly need to be aware of and guard against. We have this promise. The promise of a new heavens and a new earth. The promise of a renewed creation void of sin and bodies that no longer struggle against the flesh. We have the promise that the death of the saints is precious in the eyes of the Lord. And we have the promise that all the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. The prophet's vision tells us that although we may live in a world in which unbelief is rampant, And it seems as if the judgment of God is on closer and closer and closer. We have the promise that Christ, who called Isaiah to his ministry, that Christ, who in this moment here in John chapter 12, is accomplishing our salvation, can be trusted. we can depend upon and we can look to. Finally, we hear these words at the end of our passage this morning that almost to be, seems to be a glimmer of hope. Verse 42 and following, belief in the fear of man. We're told that yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. That gives us a different picture Often we see in the Gospel of John that the the Jews, the leaders, the the, the religious leaders are all contrary to Christ. They want him dead. But we're here told that many among the leaders believed in Christ. But there is a caveat. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue for they love praise from men more than praise from God. They love praise from men more than they love praise from God. If the first part of this passage, unbelief as judgment, is to us a warning to not harden our hearts against our God. If the second part of this passage, the prophet's vision, is one that gives us hope in the midst of a wicked and corrupt generation, hope in the promises of God, Then this last part of our passage, that we're told that some among the leaders believed in Christ, but they would not 
openly confess it, openly profess it, because they feared the Pharisees, they feared man. They loved the praise of men more than seeking the praise of God. What does this mean to us today? I think it means that the warning and the hope that we have should lead to courage. Courage to live out our faith. Courage to be bold in the workplace for Christ's sake. And the way our world is going, small little acts of courage can be as simple as saying something like this. No, I'm not going to bake a cake for that kind of wedding. No, I am going to bring my Bible to school or to work. Small little acts of courage could be something as simple as being willing to say on Facebook or social media that you believe abortion is wrong because the Bible says so. We need courageous Christians. And when I say courageous Christians, I'm not asking for standing on the street corner and preaching. Although, if you feel called to do that, that's surely an option. We need courageous Christians. When I speak of courageous Christians, I'm not saying that we need someone who's willing to go before the city council and argue against a legislation that they believe is unrighteous. Although surely that's an option if you so feel called to do. When I say we need courageous Christians, I'm saying we need Christians who are willing to pray in public. We need Christians who are willing to open their Bible in a coffee shop, knowing there's a possibility that someone may come up and ask what it is that you're reading. We need Christians who are willing to speak up when in a circle of people who are making fun of church and religion to say, hey, you know, I'm a Christian. And that's not really what we believe. We need Christian courage, which says when you're working in the workplace and your boss asks you to do something that you think is immoral, you say, no, sir, I can't do that. I'm a Christian, and I want to honor God. Because these believers believed in Jesus, but not enough to look bad amongst the Pharisees. We need to have a faith that is willing to be frowned upon. We need to have a faith that says, I can be courageous in the little things. We need to have the faith that says, when we invite people over for dinner, 
we shouldn't feel bad about opening up the Bible and doing a devotion. We need a faith that is more concerned with the praise from God, more concerned for God's glory than our own. Because Christ's presence in this world has caused the most important divide between that of unbelief and belief. And right now, we are still living in that world where the most important question is, what do you think about Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we still have time to live as those who believe amongst those who do not believe, calling them to soften their hearts, telling them about the warning that we have of the coming judgment when Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead, calling out to them saying there is still hope for salvation for you, hope that you can come to Christ and receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life. And we need to be bold. We need to have courage. We need to have Christians who are more concerned about the fear of God than they are the fear of man. If we are to see those who are among the sheepfold come in, those whom Christ has died for come in. That is what our passage brings before us today. And I pray that you have heard those words and that you will keep them in your heart and that you will hear them as this week goes on. The warning not to harden your hearts. The hope we have because of Christ who has come. And the courage that we are called to have in this world for Christ. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to always keep before us the judgment that is coming, that we may not harden our hearts towards you and turn from you to idols. Keep us from sin, Lord, that we may serve you faithfully. We ask, Lord, that we would not lose sight of the hope that we have in Christ, the hope of Isaiah's vision, the Christ who has come, suffered, died, rose again from the dead, that we may have life abundantly. And we pray, Lord, for courage, conviction in our day and age as Christians, to have a faith that is faithful in the little things, in the little ways, have a faith that's bold in the little things, willing, Lord, to suffer scorn or disdain or mockery for being a Christian in this world. Willingness to be courageous and speak about the coming judgment. Speak of the hope that believers have and the hope that unbelievers can have if they turn from their sins to Christ. And Lord, empower us by the Holy Spirit to do all these for your sake and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen.